You look really pretty and cozy. I am cozy and certainly not hot at all. It's that it's that chilly time of year in New York, so. Mm-hmm. Thank you, global warming, for wildly unpredictable weather patterns. It's true. When I was there, I was like, it's like walking in pea soup. You were here. I was here. I w- we did not record a podcast, as we did say in our last episode, but we were just too busy having fun. Yeah, quite quite frankly, um, you know, I, I I feel like we're we're friendship junkies, and our promises made when we're sober, uh, we you can't hold us to when we're riding that that, uh, that high, chasing that friendship dragon. That sweet sweet friendship wave. Um, mm, pure uncut friendship. Yeah, speaking of, I started Euphoria last night. Whew. Yeah, I. I think I'm going to wait until I have a child who's about to become a teenager to watch that. I think that's probably be the best time to watch it. I mean, it. it's very well done, but yeah? it's an intense, I mean, it's, 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 it's intense. It's A24. Much like this wicked new tattoo I have. A24? <laughs> Ooh, it's, it's a tent. Yeah. Her tattoo is a tent mm-hmm. with a tree. It's very cute. It is very cute. It's very you. On my bicep. I like it. I went to lunch on Saturday and was like, hey, tattoos. You know what I want? A tattoo. I I then said, this was the most expensive lunch I've ever had, which is Mm. maybe not true. I've eaten in Seattle enough that maybe not true, but it was, you know. You know who had wondrously okay tattoos? Who? Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Great segue. How I miss you in your segue. Um, he did, and also a wicked scar. Yeah, for no reason. I also love that they really teased us with, oh, you're going to see a flashback of him actually murdering his wife. Spoiler. Um, but you don't. Yeah, I, I was real. That's one of the few things in the movie where I was like, I have no idea why that was in there. I, like, Yeah, I honestly think, I don't know. There were a few moments where I just feel like it gives you more of a sense of his character as a whole person, which I do like. Sure. But yeah, it, it's it's a little ridiculous. Um, I feel like we had the Bruce Lee flashback, so we didn't necessarily... That gave me great character insight. That was all I needed. I didn't feel like I necessarily needed like 30 seconds of his wife bitching at him while he's holding a spear gun. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. They're like, well, we're going to just let you use your imagination with what that is. And it was funny. First off, we're doing a review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Full spoilers from here on out. So you've been warned. Not for actual history, but for this movie. <laughs> yeah. No. Because uh, uh, spoiler on that, too. If Inglorious Bastards didn't teach you uh, that Quentin Tarantino likes to fuck with the timelines and alternate history i mean i find his alternate history far more pleasing sometimes uh and i i didn't realize i don't know why i didn't see that coming i just didn't until i thought for sure brad pitt was going to go into the wrong home that that was going to be the twist and he was there and that would change things but no the stupid manson kids went to the wrong home and it all turned out differently and I have a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah, it was. It, so I'm excited to get to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it was very funny, though, because obviously Quentin Tarantino is known for, you know, having some pretty intense and bloody uh, fight scenes. Like, beautifully choreographed normally, but like, 
very intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for the the weak stomach. Uh, and I kept expecting it like throughout the whole movie. And then I kind of forgot I was in a Tarantino movie. And then at the end, I was like, ah, yes, this is what I came knowing. But they do a really good job of like stressing you out in that last, that like la- third act with the timeline of like, this is the day, mm-hmm. this is what they're doing, all this stuff. Like they really like set you up to be stressed out about it. Because we all know, I think going in, that this part of this timeline involved, or part of the story involves Sharon Tate, and Sharon Tate is very infamously, was very infamously uh, murdered while pregnant by members of the Manson family. So mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, stressful to say the least. I also enjoyed the cameos by the children of a lot of his former stars, because you got at least yes. two. Yeah, I think... Well, and, and what a summer to be Maya Hawk. Yeah. She's having a good one. Um, did you see the event that she's doing in New York that I sent to you? I did. It's free. I started, fo- I started following that. Uh, I th- it, it hasn't happened yeah, yet. No, I couldn't remember. Right? And then I don't think so. Oh, I hope I didn't put it in wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it's free. Anyways. That's Maya Hawk. Maya Hawk. Um, no, I think... I know some people are divided on this movie. I don't know how much other people love it. Um, and it has its its issues from like a macro perspective. But I have not enjoyed seeing a movie in theaters this much in quite a while. I had a very good time at this picture. Adair, did you have a good time? How did you How did you feel watching this movie? I had a blast. It was absolutely delightful. Uh, I I love Tarantino. I did. I will state that I missed Hateful Eight. I didn't hear good things, mm-hmm. and so in general, like if I'm, I, I don't really. Want, it's like why I haven't seen The Lion King. Uh, yeah. So I hadn't seen a Tarantino movie in a while, and so right. this was really Since- delightful for me. And it was great because there was a guy that was sitting next to me. We didn't like interact until the very end. Like that fight, that fight scene. And he's like, uh, and then he like looked at me. He's like, "Wait, is that the blowtorch?" I'm like, "It's the blowtorch!" And we had a moment of getting like mutually excited. And that was, there's something about that. That's how why I used to love going to like the Harry Potter movies and any Star Wars movies. There's this camaraderie in the audience, and I think Quentin Tarantino brings that as well with his movies. And so that's that's lovely. And I had a blast. And you got Agreed. to celebrate it. On, you get to watch it on your birthday. Nothing like getting I, to go to a I good did. movie on your birthday, especially at the Alamo Draft House with fellow cinephiles. And it was, I think, Tarantino. You know, he loves he loves to write about crime. He loves to write about violence. But I think revenge is like revenge and retribution are just peak Tarantino. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's there in all of them. And some it's more forward, more present. And in this movie, I felt like it was revenge for Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. It felt like I know a lot of people have complained that Margot Robbie doesn't have a lot of lines or a lot of agency. She doesn't really do anything. It felt like this 
observational arm's distance. Like, for God's sake, we have a scene where we're watching her watch herself on screen. Yeah, which I it's love that. So ref- it was so good. And her seeing people enjoy her work and how much that meant to her. I think she did like, a lot of nonverbal, like, character work on it. I Very subtle acting. I didn't feel like she was being used for, like, a cheesecake sex pot factor. Like no, this is the best. I this is the most I've ever liked Margot Robbie and so. And to me, it seemed like there was a reverence for Sharon Tate to be like not. There was a reverence for Sharon Tate in that he chose not to come up with some contrived notion of what her life could have been mm-hmm. or or focus on really trying to break our hearts by really having her talk to us or engage in much dialogue. Like, he just kind of showed what this last time in her life would have been like and at the very end gave us this beautiful bit of revenge yeah. where... It felt like if I had been there, this is what would have happened. Not necessarily. I don't think he actually believes that. But just as a sort of fuck you to the fact that this bright star was extinguished under such gruesome circumstances. And the fact that after it's all said and done, Leonardo DiCaprio is out on his driveway and he, the victims the real life victims are all on the other side of this gate up a hill and her voice just comes over the speaker. It was, it was as if they were, you know, in the afterlife, they were, they were beyond the pearly gates. They were up in heaven and we were invited up to see that they're okay. Yeah. That things actually worked. It was very emotionally arresting. Them being on that hill was Mm -hmm. really interesting as far as that goes. Like I thought Mm -hmm. that there was, it did feel heavenly their home seemed apart from the rest of the community and so that really fit very well at the end and quentin tarantino and the most she spoke was over that speaker box she was she was just an ethereal voice yeah and quentin tarantino has said in interviews he's like i really didn't want it to be about a victim like sharon tate was a like she was a force and like the thing is until the last hour of her life she wasn't a victim. She did very mm-hmm. well. Little Dallas girl. Um, but, I mean, she was very much, like, in control of her her choices. And, you know, she had no issue, like, leaving a man if it didn't work. And she followed men for love. And, like, she – but she lived a very exciting and interesting life. And she was very happy. It, it, I mean, at least that's how it appears. And from mm-hmm. testimony of, like, who she was, she – I mean – she was a happy person. And so and I think I, I heard that there was, she did have like pregnancy depression, which they allude to in the movie. Um, sure. Uh, just that, you know, the pregnancy blues as it were. Uh, but other than that, she wasn't a victim until the end of her life when she became the ultimate victim. And so I think yeah. Tarantino really, by choosing Robbie, she has like this very effervescent kind of personality that really shines through and, both verbal and nonverbal acting. I haven't felt like she's found her her true like calling yet. I think she tries, but I think there's just she's done really good work, but I think it's 
just realized that her and Leonardo DiCaprio were together in Wolf of Wall Street. Just had that moment, yep. <laughs> that connection um, of like, oh, yeah. Um, but I feel like she, this is a role that she did really a lot with not a lot of lines. It was a lot of nonverbal stuff. Um, and I mean, I think she does, she's, she's a pretty okay Harley Quinn. And I'm excited to see what the Birds of, like the Birds of Prey movie does. Yeah, she does, she does so much with what she's given here. And I think it's a very intentional choice from the writer-director and from the actress to just, we're just watching her live. We're not concerned about character arc. We're not concerned about some dramatic change or specific insight. I feel like we're meant to observe her with a reverence because they on the creeping dark part of your brain you realize what's going to happen and when they show her pregnant and i just i had a brief moment where i thought tarantino if you show me a pregnant woman getting murdered i think we might be done buddy like that's i don't i don't want to see that like who of <sighs> us does yeah right but I think she I think she's her performance and her character has been controversial for some because of the lack of agency and lack of lines. I think it works. But I do too. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Oh, I should I should preface uh what we're doing rather than us picking out our three, we're going to discuss our, our the the main the key three characters and then we're going to discuss any like wild cards or surprises that we enjoyed. Um mm-hmm. So that being said, we're not going to do a best worst wild card like we normally do yeah. because there it was primarily driven by three people so it was a three-hander i mean it's really a two-hander with a, a with a, with a an assist um with an assist but yeah so then let's talk about let's talk about leonardo dicaprio let's talk about rick fucking dalton oh my god that i Meta, man. Meta. So meta. <laughs> if I I get that everyone's all about like the revenant. And of course for me, Catch Me If You Can is like peak DiCaprio, but this might be the best thing he's ever done. I I used to think it was the aviator, but this has the strokes of character and the broad sweeping movements like when he's fighting with himself in the trailer and promising not to drink anymore and when he fucks up his line like the whole time he's he's on set is a goddamn delight it's just an absolute delight i don't think i think there are dicaprio performances that people have thought are important Mm -hmm. or impressive but this has got to be the most enjoyable one since catch me oh it's yes it's fucking delightful that's the Absolutely. And just seeing his growth as a guy who really, his expectations and his wants are clear. He also really understands his flaws. And, but Mm -hmm. he is the first to, to cast a stone on himself with that. Right. And I think, you know, he, I mean, without it getting too serious, I think he definitely, you know, had some, uh, 
some mental issues that he that weren't really diagnosed. But I think. That, oh yeah. But I think absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I but I absolutely loved the particularly the scenes where he's alone. But getting those like bits of flashbacks and and getting the clips from the movies and the TV shows he's done, uh, I just I loved him. Like I I wanted to watch him, and there were some moments where I'm just like he's just it's so in his eyes and what he's doing, and it's impressive because the, particularly the scene where he's like filming and it's the Luke Perry scene where he is like three different people at once because he's this character. And then he's this actor, and then he's also like constantly doubting himself all at once, and that was right. really impressive to portray in a scene. And it was so. And I mean, also like hands down, for me, the scene um, with the young girl was my favorite scene in this movie. Absolutely, it was so good. And uh, yeah, I oh god, it was so good. She was she's a little force. Oh. I mean, my God, she was spectacular. Oh, yeah, she's my she's my wild card. Hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think I enjoyed his growth from has been, who like almost hit it, and to when they talked about him allegedly being up for the Great Escape, and they digitally inserted him into that footage from the Great Escape. Yep. Oh, you could just see his fantasy. And for so many people who've been so close to having things, that's that's a real feeling. Yeah. And to have his full circle moment be, he went, started in some movies. They were maybe okay. Who knows? We don't get to know about the success. He got that part and he still wasn't, you know, necessarily fulfilled or perfect, but he does get the flamethrower out of the garage and he gets to nuke someone so i did like that scene when when brad pitt goes into the shed to get stuff Mm -hmm. to fix the antenna and you see the flamethrower in the corner if you pay attention then it's like ah i did not i did not catch that the first time yeah so you're like ah yes that 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 will be for later i noticed it and i commented to skylar i'm like there's gonna be a flamethrower later on no i think this is the most fun I've had with DiCaprio while, you know, I could genuinely celebrate with him when he did finally nail that scene and when he got his shit together a little bit. I felt good about it because I had seen him be so miserable and depressed and fragile, truly fragile in a way that we have not seen from him as an actor in quite some time. Like, he can do charm he can do arrogance he can do wrath and envy and all the deadly sins but the fragility the vulnerability uh, that was all ego driven it was just all this fragile delicate little paper crane ego and he could just show it all in his eyes i i loved watching him crumble and then rise it was great honestly the scene with Al Pacino when they're in the, in the restaurant and how mm-hmm. he's like almost stuttering and like nervous to talk about himself, but then, so yeah, I I really love that scene because he does talk about like what his role in like all these series that he's doing where he's like 
he's the guy that the the new the new guy is going to beat up because it's, he's a well-known name. And mm-hmm. so like that his whole explanation of that it seemed like he was very much accepting of his role in Hollywood at that time. But right. uh like there was also such a vulnerability in him explaining like oh here this is like this is all I'm going to do. This is who I am in Hollywood now. Right. Yeah, I think great turn from him. I I saw an article before I saw this uh, that the title was, you know, are Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio going to face off for best actor? And I was like, eh, I don't know. But after seeing this, I mean, they could both be nominated. Who knows? They had two very different storylines, which I really enjoyed. Very different. I liked mm-hmm. that he wasn't able to be uh, do any stunt work that day and had to fix the antenna and like went yep. off and met the Manson family and stuff. Although I would say the one part that kind of dragged was at the at the ranch. Yeah, then my, I I felt like it was a real real waste of Bruce Dern to just have that whole scene it was just interesting from uh, the standpoint of like filmic history and trivia, but. Overall, that that whole section was kind of well. And it's so funny because you have slug. all these like well-known performers mm-hmm. making up the ensemble. Yeah, <laughs> just in like, and you assume like, oh, maybe they're gonna have like a whole thing, but it's like, no, they're just there. Yeah, I mean Dakota Fanning though, she's my wild card as Squeaky. Oh my God, what a tiny amount of screen time to make such an impression and she felt menacing before they sh- even showed her face i was like Ooh. oh yeah <laughs> yeah she was um she was trailer trash miss Han- mrs hannigan yeah. i and i mean i really liked and that. i have to say austin butler did great with the two scenes he had as tex mm-hmm. he's uh gonna yeah. be elvis in the new elvis biopic yeah and i can see i can see why he was cast he's got he can he can work. He's got it. charm, but it um, kind of seems like he's up to something all the time. Yeah. So, you know, that's always good. Uh, but yeah, I I agree though. She was lovely, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, hold on, sorry. My wild card was Julia Butters, who played mm-hmm. Trudy, and she I just felt like it, it takes a lot. It, it reminded me of young. It reminded me of young Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. I knew you would say that. I knew you would you say did? that. Oh yeah. Um, I'm predictable. Uh, so yeah, that it definitely felt like that for me though. I I I just it's impressive when you see a person going up against these, you know, Oscar winners or you know these well known oh, actors, yeah. and you're just like, oh, whoa. Damn. Like and and her, and really, even at that one point where she's just like, "I don't like you calling my names, m- me names," but you are you're in a bad place right now, so we'll talk about it later. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my god, oh, yeah. this kid is great. She's precocious AF, and I love it." Straight up. Yeah, and I mean, um, I loved Brad Pitt. I thought he was really, he was also he. I mean, he had lines but i mean he was a he was very funny in a non obvious way like the whole flashback of the fight with with bruce lee and he was like mm, yeah makes sense and like that kind of thing yep i enjoyed that and i 
I loved his relationship with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth have now become like a filmic like duo. Butch and They're Sundance. not th- Yeah, like Butch and Sundance. They're not Thelma and Louise level. They're not that amazing, but it's a good duo and I I enjoyed their interaction. I liked I liked his interactions with his dog as well. Oh my God. His whole relationship with Brandy was great. The dog food was real gross though. So gross, so especially gross. when he tasted it when he was high. But I appreciated that the dog was named Brandy because she's a good wife. What, um, well, what a good wife she will be. Yeah, because his, his life, life his, his love, lo- and his, his lady. love, and his lady is in the sea because he killed her. Ooh, maybe that's Tarantino giving us an answer. Um, but he's he's enjoyable. He's interesting. It's a nice showing for Pitt. It's nothing earth shattering, but it's it's good. He's funny. You're right. I think Pitt has a very understated comedic charm to him that has been underutilized by people who aren't Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, no, I mean he's pretty funny in the oceans movies yeah yeah and uh burn after reading too he's very funny it's been reading. forever since i watched burn after reading he's he's oof. that hair though so good that yeah i hair. i have to say i was super confused because they made such a point about them high them uh casting someone to play charles manson and mm-hmm. he wasn't really in it <laughs> Nope. Which he showed up one which time. Which I liked because Charlie Manson <laughs> right. gives me the heebie-jeebies, um, for understandable reasons. Why's that? Uh, he's a mass murdering fuckhead. No, he's he's insane. He's fucking insane mm-hmm. and terrifying. I also read a book that was by like one of the youngest members of the Manson family. Like she, she had, like was fourteen when she joined the family, and it's oh, just Christ. like. Like all of the shit that happened, <sighs> uh, but yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, the it's it's very weird to me. I, I definitely thought for a while that it was going to be Brad's altercation with the family that was going to lead to the murder of Sharon Tate mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. of the car. And then they were like, they left the car at the Mexican restaurant. I'm like, phew. Thank God. But also that makes me think another person I was really pleasantly surprised by was Emil Hirsch because I love him and I don't see him much anymore. I mean, we no, I was like, what is this? Ten years ago? <laughs> well, I mean, I've told you like my favorite movie in high school was Girl Next Door. I loved that shit. And he was like the boy I, I was madly in love with when I was in high school. And so it's nice to see him doing something. And also looking like he showered, because I think a lot of the things he's done, he just sort of is, like, dirty. <laughs> if, yeah. If that makes sense. Like, there's that movie with, like, it's, like, Captain Avalanche or something with Paul Rudd, and they're just, like, furry. <laughs> um, But, yeah, so it's, it was nice to see him, and I feel like he actually had a lot of nuance, too. I was super confused by Damian Lewis's Steve McQueen, though. Yeah, what a waste, again, where I was like, did that exposition need to come from Steve McQueen? Like, if you have to label him and we never see him again, I don't I don't really care if that's who was actually at the Playboy Mansion that night. Like, that does nothing for me. Yeah. They do a good I job, though, of, like, without labeling certain people, it's clear who certain people are. Right. Which is nice. 
Although apparently Bruce no. Lee's daughter was very unhappy. Yeah. Which I saw. I that. mean, like, I get from the scene with Brad Pitt, but there were some kind of nice little moments with Emile Hirsch and with Margot Robbie. Yeah, I think. I feel like I don't know Quentin Tarantino when it's real people. He unless it's like someone who's just overtly evil. I think he's pretty good about giving range and depth and a few yeah. sides to it. I think I, I I totally get why she would be angry from that scene, but I also, you know, it's it's a fantasy movie. It's no one thinks it's historically accurate. So, wait, what? But it's a fantasy movie. No one thinks that it's historically accurate. I'm pretty sure so. all of that stuff happened, Dan. You're right. Rick Dalton did flamethrower the Mason the Manson family. The Mason um, family. He threw a the Mason he flamed through a mason jar at the Manson family in Mesa, Arizona. So my one my one complaint, my one complaint about this movie. If you were standing in a pool and someone lit you on fire, I think reflexively you would just go into the water. I don't think you would stand there and burn in a pool. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a that was a note I had too. <laughs> was there anything else that stood out to you? Anything that kind of got under your skin, or you were like, eh, I don't know. Um, I was confused since Kurt Russell was a character, why he was also narrating. And only for the very end, after the only other break was when. They had to clarify that Rick Dalton doesn't have a license because he got too many DUIs. Like, mm -hmm. it just felt like an, it's a very Tarantino thing to do, but it just felt like a pretty late in the game break. Yeah. But I think the motivation, uh, I don't know why it's Kurt Russell to go after your point. I don't, I have no clue. Because I would have loved to hear like... Eli Roth because I think his voice is very soothing. Yeah. And he apparently got cut out. He was in something, but he, it was cut out. Huh. But. Well, I I, th I think I felt like the narration was trying to give us that false sense of you know at the end of a biopic how the text comes up and tell you tells you what really happened or how the rest of the story went because they're too lazy to film it. Um it felt like they were wetting our appetite for that sort of thing. Like it was like, and on that, you know, on this day, this thing started happening and this person came home and blah, blah, blah. And it, it accomplished some of the same feelings where I was like, oh shit, they're just going to go through with it. So I get why they did it. But again, no idea why it was Kurt Russell. No well, idea. <laughs> I think for me, it's, it's less about him narrating and him more about, well, why would that Being specific a character. character do it? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the thing is when you have someone who's already been introduced as a character, that's confusing to me. And I, I mean, it, we, there's you have a long you, Samuel L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like he has a long list of people that I'm sure would be happy to do it. B.J. Novak, I'm sure he's not doing anything right now. Um, Robert De Niro. Yeah, I mean Al Pacino. Yeah, I mean, he, the, he's got people on speed dial. Yeah, so I think that there's I don't know that part felt a little bit hastily done. It was nice to see Maya Hawk for a hot second, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was nice. Um, I got really excited about it, and then that was when I was, like, trying to talk about it, and then I realized, I was like, oh, if you haven't watched Stranger Things season three, 
then what are you doing with your I'm life? Pr- I assume living it or working or uh. something, something like that. But yeah, uh, Dan, what would you rename this? Oh my God, I'm so glad you let me go first. I was terrified. Um, I was going to call it The Girl Next Door. <laughs> I love you so much for doing that. That makes mm. me so happy. Uh, mine was The Phantom Cliff Booth. Uh. Also, Lena Dunham was so just like low Random. energy in her scene. Yeah. I was like, it's kind of how I imagine her as a friend, like not that enthusiastic, but like still there for you, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting how, how that goes. Uh, I'm really excited for next time I record when it's just my animals because they tend to just sleep. But there's mm-hmm. a, there's a an alien element right now which is very infuriating to them all apparently. <laughs> Any other thoughts, comments, reviews, feelings, beat poetry regarding this I movie? I think um I definitely want to see it again. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely going to be a mood piece. I don't see myself putting this on very often, but when I'm in the right headspace to just really enjoy cinema, oh, God, the cinematography just made me so happy. The Dutch angles during the confrontation between um, Cliff Booth and Squeaky, that was excellent. Mm-hmm. Like, and they, and, they, and they tilted it like an extra one degree each time they cut back to just intensify how diametrically opposed they were. Mm-hmm. And the long sweeping holds, the car stuff, not once, not twice, but three times we got a foot fetish shot, which, you know, Tarantino loves. Um, it was it was enjoyable. It was really enjoyable. And so far, it's been one of the more inspiring movies I've watched this year, just from a artistic standpoint of like he got to make exactly what he wanted to make because he's fucking Quentin Tarantino. It's true. I really do. I know he's always said like, I'm only going to do 10 movies. I hope he goes more. Cause like when he does stuff like this, it's just like you have a vision and there's not really a voice like yours. And it's so fucking entertaining to watch. What are you, are are you going to sneeze? No, yeah. No, it was a big uh, yawn. Is there a reason for that dollar bill you're hanging out with, or are you just uh, going to snort something up your nose later? Cocaine would probably kill me in my present state. I think I would die. All right. So, see you in hell. <laughs> a Secret Weapon Production.